I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, sponsored by United Health Group. Today's Wednesday, April 7th. U.S. gas supplies are up, Bitcoin prices are down, and we're focused on corporate America's selective outrage. Earlier today, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon published his annual letter in which he wrote that the business sector should be a, quote, responsible community citizen. In other words, that it should take an active role in helping develop public policy that benefits society at large, not just policy that benefits company stockholders. And if you've been listening to the show lately, Diamond's perspective won't come as much of a surprise. On Monday, for example, we had on the CEO of Siemens USA, where she argued for massive U.S. infrastructure investment, even beyond areas that would directly impact her company. Yesterday, we spoke with Atlanta's mayor and touched on all the big Georgia businesses that have made public statements in opposition to the state's new voting law. That said, there are critics of this new corporate conventional wisdom, namely Republicans whose politics seem to keep falling on the wrong side of CEO ledgers. Mitch McConnell, for example, said yesterday the company should, quote, stay out of politics, end quote, even though he later undercut himself by clarifying that he was not talking about political donations. And then there's this other critique gaining traction in GOP circles that U.S. companies with business in China are willing to be very vocal about U.S. policy, but are largely silent when it comes to China's human rights violations. So today we want to dig into what U.S. companies are and aren't saying about China and why with Axios China editor Bethany Allen Abrahamian. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Bethany Allen Abrahamian. Axios China editor, Bethany, companies like Delta and Coca-Cola, Major League Baseball, obviously have been very loud in the past week uh, about U.S. politics, particularly the the voting law in Georgia. uh, And they're being criticized for being silent on things that are happening in China. Is that a valid criticism? Are they indeed silent when it comes to China politics and policies? Yes, they are. And a lot, a lot of companies are maybe, maybe most or all companies. Um, and, you know, I want to be clear that the issue that, that companies are really getting hammered on right now is the fact that there's a genocide happening in Xinjiang, uh, which is a, which is in China. So the Chinese government is currently right now committing a genocide there. And what happens is any company, you know, any multinational company that says something about that, you know, they know that they, that they would be really harmed in the Chinese market because because the Chinese government could possibly kick them out of that market or help fan an apparently um, grassroots consumer protest uh, you know, or consumer boycott just in the past uh, week and a half. Um, so H&M had made a statement a year ago about how they were not going to use cotton from Xinjiang anymore because there is uh, you know, forced labor um, sort of mixed in with cotton in the region. And that forced labor is part of this, you know, forced assimilation that's happening to Uyghurs. So they had made a statement a year ago and and a week and a half ago, that statement sort of got re-upped in China. And there was a huge uh, boycott movement. It went viral on social media. People were posting photos of them, you know, burning, uh, you know, products, um, H&M got removed from like the, the Chinese equivalent of Google Maps. It got removed from the Chinese equivalent of Amazon. Their products did. Uh, you know, so it's like it just devastated their market there overnight. So any company with that gets a significant chunk of their revenues from China knows that this is what will happen if they if they uh, go against China's bottom lines. Is it, I mean, for a company like Coca-Cola, it, it, would that still be true? In other words, would the Chinese government be willing to basically ban Coke or, or is it more that individuals in China would just get pissed off and not buy Coke? 
It is really not about the individuals in China. So the most important thing to know um, about China is that you know it's governed by and increasingly I mean almost totalitarian Chinese Communist Party, and the the party is very very good at at, at managing China's somewhat capitalist economy in a way that gives them a, a very targeted ability to punish individual companies. I mean, so China, you know, as I said, there is a strong, there's strong market incentives in that, in that country. It's, it's not a communist economy. Um, but the government's gotten really good at controlling that. And, you know, some of the ways that it can do that, uh, some of them are, are clear and transparent, and some of them are very opaque, but we still know that they're happening. One th- example would be, you know, if um, a company were to do something that China didn't like, and then suddenly this company is facing an enormous audit, or they're being investigated for um, antitrust violations, or their products get stuck sort of mysteriously in customs at, at a port, and they and the products go bad, and so, you know, the company loses a bunch of money. But there are also increasingly China is becoming much more bold in doing things directly against companies and also kind of nation states. So, for example, when the Australian government called for an independent inquiry into the origins of the coronavirus uh, last year, the Chinese government issued a bunch of tariffs on imports of Australian wine, you know, until Australian wine companies were struggling. You wrote this week, uh, quote, that China is incentivizing companies to go along with the government's repressive policies, end quote. Can you unpack that a little bit? Is it incentivizing or or is the incentive, as you say, simply we'll let you continue to sell your product? Well, so both both of those things, um, increasingly incentivizing companies to be a little bit even more proactive. But I'll I'll explain what I mean. Yes, traditionally, it was more incentivizing companies to just stay silent on China's various human rights issues. But with Xinjiang, what we've seen is, you know, so so Chinese authorities um, have very clear uh, economic plans for that region. It's part of their Belt and Road Initiative. They see it as a, a gateway into Central Asia, the Middle East, and even Europe. And they want to develop that as part of their geopolitical economic plan that they have, but also because if they can point to a rapidly rising GDP in, in Xinjiang, they can say, look, our policies there are great. You know, who are you? Who, what are you criticizing? What we're doing there is working. And so, you know, they have been giving incentives to companies to open facilities there. Who, you know, what board manager in like the U.S. is like, where should we open our next factory in China? Hmm, Arunchi, you know, which is the capital of Xinjiang. That's not normal, um, but they get incentives to do that. Um, and so, and uh, another example of this, and this is, you know, for, for domestic Chinese companies, they get subsidies. So there's something called the forced, it's a forced labor transfer program. It's, it's basically selling Uyghur slaves, sort of, um, to, to factories around the rest of China. And, and companies get uh, subsidies. Some companies have gotten subsidies for accepting these labor transfers. Uh, so, you know, some companies are, in fact, being directly paid to use forced Uyghur labor. Those are domestic Chinese companies. But those companies very frequently are integrated into, you know, the rest of the global supply chain. You mentioned H&M earlier, which is obviously a European uh, clothing retailer. Have you seen any examples of U.S. multinationals that have vocalized opposition to what's happening with Uyghurs or other issues, human rights issues in China? Yeah. So this was an interesting thing that happened a couple of years ago. Um, a Marriott employee used a, an official Marriott account to like a post on like a pro-Tibetan group 
Now, Facebook is blocked in China. Chinese people can't see it. This was an American employee, an American company, you know, liking a group on an American social media platform. And it happened right at the same time as there was a survey that Marriott had sent to some consumers and, you know, some clientele in China. And on that survey, there was a drop down box where, you know, it was like what country something something. And it, it, you know, Taiwan was there. So Taiwan was categorized under country instead of country slash region. And because of that, the Marriott website in China was taken down, went black for, you know, went dark for an entire week. And so they lost whatever amount of business that was. And China pressured Marriott. Marriott fired that American employee for having, for having done that. Um, having liked that post. That's just one example. There are, there are many examples. You know, Apple uh, is pressured to censor from its Apple store in China, all kinds of stuff. And they very happily comply with that. Uh, LinkedIn censors because it, you know, censors its China posts because it knows that if it doesn't, it will be kicked out as Facebook and Twitter uh, and YouTube and Instagram uh, have been. There's a long precedent for this. And it's been so well communicated that every single company in the world that has major you know, profits in China knows that if they say something about Xinjiang, their uh, market there is going to be decimated. So let's talk about the U.S. politics of this. Uh, it seems primarily that politicians on the right, at least over the last uh, week or so, uh, senators like Tom Cotton, Marco Rubio, have been uh, pretty loud on this, what, what they view as hypocrisy. Are they right? Are U.S. corporations, for example, that complain about a voting law in Georgia but stay silent on China, are they hypocrites? Oh, I think that the reason that um, Tom Cotton and Mark Rubio and people on the right are making a deal of this is mainly because they are opposed to companies or anybody in the U.S. opposing the Georgia law. They support that law. That's what that's about. So I would just I would just totally not even engage with that. But are they right about the criticism itself? So I think it's ridiculous to expect American companies to comment, to regularly sort of criticize the fact that, you know, China has an authoritarian system. I mean, that's, we don't, we don't require companies, our companies to do that. Like they need to say like, oh, Turkey's authoritarian, blah. Like we don't require that. This is just being used as some sort of, you know, domestic political, like, you know, um, hammer or something where, where it is relevant is I would say for these very extreme examples, like genocide and when American companies somehow something that they're doing touches more directly on it. So for the NBA, the NBA is a, is a very good example. They have had a training camp in Xinjiang. And, you know, so they, they, have, they have a lot of ties there. Let me ask actually about the NBA, because obviously there was the issue with the NBA, I guess, maybe two years ago now when Daryl Morey, who was then the general manager in Houston, he's now in Philadelphia, uh, m- made a comment and it became uh, about China and the Uyghurs and it became a, a kind of a global issue. A tweet did. The argument that I heard people make, and I think some might make this about Coca-Cola as well, that some of these U.S. companies do have outsized power in China because they are very, very popular among Chinese people. And, and the NBA was used as an example of this, that it would be problematic potentially for the Chinese government to actually just shut off NBA games indefinitely. Not a valid argument that these companies actually could impact public policy like they've done in Georgia. So um, I I would say that uh, that that's a, that's a tough one. I, I think what we've seen from the CCP is that they're going to continue their policies basically no matter what. Um, what I'm more concerned about is complicity. So I, I'm, I more think that, you know, American companies who have these huge um, consumer bases and, and thus 
proact if, if they are proactively silencing their own employees, you know, if if Daryl Morey had been fired, you know, um, and I would say that the NBA did not do a good job of of saying actually, you know, you guys do have free speech. So I, I would definitely criticize them on that. I, I really just dislike putting this in contrast, um, you know, to what's happening in U.S. domestic politics. I think that's a really unhelpful lens to look at it. Um, should should American companies be letting their employees employees speak freely about what's happening in China? Yes. Should they um, be making doing everything they can to make sure they're not complicit in forced labor and in other um, you know mass atrocities that are occurring there? Absolutely. Are they doing that? No. Why not? Because uh, it would harm their bottom line. Bethany, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. What we're watching today are SPACs. Or to be more specific, what seems to be a slowdown in SPACs. Just as a quick refresher, SPACs are those blank check companies formed for the sole purpose of buying a private company and then taking it public. They've been around for decades, but have exploded in popularity over the past year, raising hundreds of billions of dollars and buying up everything from flying taxi makers to baseball card companies like Tops. There was even a Wall Street Journal report last month that Axios is considering a SPAC deal although that doesn't influence our coverage of SPACs. Anyway, uh, fast forward to the present, and what we're seeing is a lot fewer new SPACs being formed. At times in January and February, there were up to a dozen new formations per day, but lately, the typical number has been closer to two. Now, the best explanation I've heard is that investors are tapped out, having backed hundreds of SPACs, many of which haven't yet found companies to buy. Plus, some bankers seem to be just backed up on paperwork for existing SPACs and need time to catch up before moving on to new business. The bottom line is that for now, it seems the SPAC boom may have peaked. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers, Naomi Shaven, and Alex Sugiara. Have a great national beer day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.